Thank you for supporting the Ministry of Victory Outreach International. We pray this message challenges, ignites faith, and that God would fan the flame that will produce a harvest of souls throughout the world. This morning I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John. If you turn to John, John chapter 1. Now, this morning, I want you to look at John chapter 1, and we're going to be reading in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35 of John chapter 1. And over here it says, the verse 35, The next day John was there again with the two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent the day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord Jesus, this morning we thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit that is in this meeting. And Lord, we know that you desire to work within the hearts and lives of every person that is gathered here this morning. I pray that we don't leave the same, but that somehow your Holy Spirit will be able to touch us and have a, a life-changing effect upon our lives. We know, Lord, that you're the only one that is able to change us. Sometimes we can't even change ourselves. But it's your Holy Spirit, it's the power of your Holy Spirit working in our lives that is able to change us and able to transform us. And Lord, we give you all the praise and we give you the glory. We pray your Holy Spirit will begin to spread out throughout this entire tent. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. You may be seated. There are two words that I want you to keep in mind this morning as we get into this message. I want you to keep in, in mind the name Simon, and also the name Cephas, Peter. When you look through the Word of God, you're able to see how God is able to change and transform lives. There are many accounts within the Word of God where we see the manifestation of, of the power of God in changing an individual's life. There are many accounts that we have recorded within the Word of God. We go into the Old Testament, we could pull out some of the accounts of, of people who were transformed as soon as they came and they were confronted by God. And in the New Testament, we also have different accounts as well. And here we have the account, and this is what we're going to be dealing with this morning. We're going to see, and we have here the account of a man that was totally transformed by the power of God. A man that needed a change in his life. And God was able to change him. I believe that this is a, 
an appropriate message for us. This is, I believe, what are we in, beginning of February? And we just started the new year. And many of us have great expectation from God. Many of us have a desire inside of us. We're looking at a whole brand new year. We left 1994 behind, and we're pressing in in 1995. And just about all of us have great expectations of what God is going to do within our lives. But I want you to know that the only way that it will happen to many of us, most of us, if not all of us, there needs to be a change. I believe 1995 is the year of change. There needs to be a change within many of our lives. I believe all of us should have a change take place in 95 because we're, we're growing from, from glory to glory, the Bible says. Jesus is changing us. And there's a process of growth that should be taking place in our lives. What was good for 1994 is not good for 1995. So there should be a desire for God to do something special in your life this morning and in your life throughout this entire year. I think that every Sunday there should be a change that should be taking place. More and more, God should be changing us. That every Sunday we're not the same as last Sunday. And I believe that God is able to do that. And this morning I want to encourage your faith. I want to encourage your faith because we're going to be taking a look at a man that needed a whole lot of change, and yet God was able to change him. We find in the passage a story of just an ordinary guy by the name of Simon, a working man, a, a fisherman. There was no, he wasn't distinguished, or he didn't come from a distinguished family name, uh, not a lot of money, and even didn't even have formal education. Just a plain, ordinary person, but after his encounter with Jesus, this ordinary guy became one of the key figures in the history of the world. And we find him recorded within the Word of God. God was able to transform that person that really needed change. And here in the passage of Scripture that we have just read, we find the encounter that Simon had with Jesus. And I want us to really take a good look at it. It says in John chapter 1 and verse uh, 41, the first thing Andrew did, now you remember that Andrew was a disciple of, of John the Baptist, and then as soon as he came face to face with Jesus, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, went and got his brother Simon, and he introduced him to Jesus. And it tells us here in verse 41 that the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him we have found the Messiah, and he brought him to Jesus. Now I want you to notice what Jesus did. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. What actually took place here is that when Andrew came and brought his brother Simon to Jesus, Jesus took a, a real long look at Simon. And as he looked at Simon, he was able to penetrate. It was a penetrating look that he looked at, at Simon. He looked right through Peter. He saw everything about him. He saw his weaknesses, and he also saw his divine destiny that he had for this man. 
And the very same way that Jesus looked at Peter is also the same way that he looks at us as well. In fact, in the Moffat translation, it talks about this penetrating look, and it says that Jesus gazed at him a long time. Jesus was able to see everything. There wasn't anything that were, was actually hidden from Jesus when he took that look at Peter. And I want you to know this morning that you could hide things from people. You could be sitting here in this meeting this morning and you could look awfully good. In fact, you could even look like a sanctified saint. You could look very, very holy. But inside, maybe there's something that you're hiding that hasn't really been revealed to the other people that are around you. Many times we have secrets within our lives. We have a secret life sometimes that we have inside of us. But I want you to know that this morning, even though you may hide it from your neighbor and hide it from your family member and hide it from your friends and hide it from your brothers this morning, you can't hide it from that penetrating eye of Jesus. As you sit here this morning, he knows everything about you. He knows what you did yesterday. He knows what you did the week before. He knows what you did the month before. He knows everything about you. He knows your weaknesses. He knows everything about you. And he also knows your future. And I want you to know that as he also had a divine plan for Peter, he also has a divine plan for us as well. Now, I want you to notice these two names. First of all, he called him, his name was Simon. This is, he's known as Simon, right? And Simon in, in the Hebrew actually means reed. A reed is not something that is very, very strong. In fact, you can't, you can't build a church on, on a reed. In fact, reed doesn't have any foundation whatsoever. A reed is very fragile. And when Jesus looked at him, he knew all about Simon. And he said, uh, Simon, he says, you're a reed. I know everything about you, Simon. I know your weaknesses, I, I know your, your every thoughts, and, and I know all your hang-ups, and I know that you're a very emotional person. Simon, if anybody has problems, you have a whole lot of problems. you got mucho problems. And if anybody needs change, then Simon, you need change. Right now, you're a reed, but I want you to know that I'm going to change your name. From Simon, I'm going to call you... Peter, I'm going to call you Cephas, and Cephas actually means a rock. He says, I'm going to change you from a reed to, to a rock, and you're going to be a rock. And by the time I finish with you, you, even in spite of the weaknesses that you have in your life right now, there's going to be a transformation that's going to take place in your life if you let me do it. If you permit me to do it, I'm going to turn you from a reed into a rock. You see, Jesus was able to discern Simon's character. When he looked at him, he says, you're a reed. In other words, you're un unstable and also emotional. Jesus predicted Simon's destiny. You are Simon, but thou shall be called Cephas. By the time I finish with you, thou shall be called a rock. This is what was actually happening. There was a personal prophetic word concerning Simon's future. This is what Jesus was doing. As Simon came before Jesus, Jesus looked at him 
and said, you're a diamond in the rough. And he gave him a prophetic word concerning his future. You shall be called a rock. You shall be called, he then shall be. Whatever God was telling him that he was called, he was going to be that. That was a prophetic word that he had for him. I'm calling you a rock because I will make you a rock. Jesus saw Peter as a diamond in the rough. Now we have other accounts in the word of God of people that you didn't expect much from. When you look at some of the tremendous, these two tremendous men of God that we have in the book of Acts in the early church, these two men were men that you wouldn't ever consider God using them. First of all, we have in the, the first part of the book of Acts, you remember that we have Peter, Peter coming forth. Peter that was the reed all of a sudden became the rock. And then we also have someone else that was a persecutor. That there was in any church council that would have chosen this man, and that was Saul of Tarsus. But nevertheless, when, when God looked at Saul of Tarsus, God says, I'm going to change this man. Even though people say it is impossible for this man to change, and even though he may be an enemy of the cross right now, when I get finished with him, he's going to be a great apostle taking the word of God and, and taking the message of Jesus Christ all over the world. And sure enough, this is what actually happened. God was able to transform this great persecutor of the church because God is in the transforming business. The Bible says he's taken the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And I don't know about you this morning, but I want you to know that I used to be a reed. Like most of us, at one time, we was a reed. And I was a bad reed. Even after being saved, I had all kinds of hang-ups. You know, it's dangerous. I was talking to the leadership yesterday, and, and I was actually telling them, and I didn't tell them in these words, but I was actually telling them, telling them that there's no room for reeds in leadership. Reeds are very, very dangerous people. The only room that we have for leadership are, are those that God has taken from a reed and actually made into a rock. Let me give you the definition of a, of a person that's a, that's a reed person. It's a person who's unstable, easily moved by circumstances, and emotional, known to be moody. You ever hear people like, you ever see people like that? Cannot be trusted with responsibility. They're always laid, and their finances are not in order. This is a good description of somebody that's a reed. And if that description fits you this morning, you know that there are people that never change. There are people that have been reads all their lives. And there's no change. They're, they're like the same yesterday, today, and forever. No change in their life. And there should be a changing process. Once God gets a hold of us, the chisel of God begins to work in us and he's able to transform us. I started thinking back of how I was before, and I'm sure you could give us stories of how you were before, many of you that are rocks now. We talk about rocks, we're talking about how God is able to take those reeds and make them pillars within the house of God. I think all of our pillars within the house of God that we have here today, you were reeds at one time, very, very unstable. 
but something happened to you. And even being a Christian, you know, when, when the Lord saves us, we're still in that spiritual baby state, you know, spiritually immature. A spiritual immature individual is very, very weak. In fact, he's even prone to, to backslide. This is why he needs a strong brothers and sisters around that individual. And even after you're saved, there's a tendency to make, make a whole lot of mistakes. But even in spite of the mistakes, God is able to look at you and say, you know what, I don't see only what you're doing now. I see the imperfection in your life now, but I also see what you're going to be. And what I'm going to make out of you. I remember when I went to Bible school, I've mentioned this before, even in Bible school, I had a bad temper. Coming from New York City, you know, you have, a, and then Puerto Rican to top it, you know. I used to blow up, you know, these blowouts or something, you know. And the first thing I look for is a knife or anything that I could get, you know, the first thing. Look for any weapon, anything at all. You know, I don't want to mess up my hands. I'm going to, you know, and especially the guy is big. There was a guy, big guy in Bible school, real, real heavy guy, fat guy. This guy kept on bugging me, man. The devil sent him my way. The devil knew I was a reed. And I told him, listen, don't bug me, man. Just get away from me. I, you know, I'm trying to pray. I'm trying to seek God. Get away from me and don't bug me. And he kept on pestering. Kept on pestering. Finally, I had it. I says, I had it with you, man. And the guy was big. So I says, I'm not going to mess with him with my hands. And I started looking, you know, what could I see, you know? And there was a broom, and I got the broom, and I says, come over here. Wow! I started hitting him. I hit him, and I broke the broom over his back. The guy started yelling, yelling, he's crazy, he's crazy. And I'm running after him. The future pastor running after him. With the broom. Some of you could identify, right? See, Mondo's not the only one. We talk about Mondo punching a guy out, you know, when he's my director in one of the homes, you know, a guy all full of blood coming to me. You know the story. Well, there's another guy, too, that also kept on bugging me, you know. And I didn't want to be bugged, you know. And I used to look at these guys, they're all squares, you know, they don't even know where I come from. Don't mess with me, man. Leave me alone. Don't play with me. I don't play these games. I don't play. You know how in Bible school I like to play with you and all that stuff. You know, they, they steal things from you and they just take this from you or do that, you know. And I said, don't mess around with me. I'm not playing these games. Well, there was another guy who was messing with me. And you know what I did? I actually, I, this time I had a blade. And I took the blade and I opened it up and I picked him up and I just took him into one of the rooms. This guy was laying down. I just put him on top of the guy. And then I go like this and say, I'm going to cut you. And the guy starts screaming. And even the guy that's laying down, the guy's on top of him. Here I am with a blade. And the other guy says, Sonny, Sonny, what are you doing? Please, Sonny. <laughs> that's the devil. What are you doing? And 
I just gave him a good skip, but I was really serious as I was tempted to give him a little cut just to give him, mark them up, you know. And I just left him. I said, don't you mess with me again, man. Don't you mess with me again. Uh, do you imagine God looking at me and God saying, I is that going to be my servant, you know? And even in the natural, I'm sure that all these people in Bible school, when they looked at me, they said, this guy's never going to amount to nothing. I mean, this guy has so many rough edges that there's no way that God is going to be able to do anything within his life. But I want you to know this morning, I want you to know this morning that God is in the changing business. God is able to turn a reed into a rock. That's why there are many of you that the enemy will bring condemnation. You don't have to keep on living the way you've been living. There are some of you that have been living in defeat and depression under the spirit of inferiority complex. Maybe your family members, you just say you're never going to be any good and you're always going to be a bum and you're never going to amount to anything. And it's been so inbred within your life that you're actually programmed for failure. I want you to know that maybe before you came to Jesus Christ, maybe you were programmed for failure, and maybe you were a failure, but once you come to Jesus Christ, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. You don't have to settle for that. You don't have to accept that lie of the devil. Jesus is in the changing business. He's able to transform us and he's able to change our lives. Nothing is too hard for him. And I think that there's no better example of how God is able to change people's lives. I mean, you don't have any excuse. Those of you that remain reeds and you're unproductive and you continue to be unproductive year after year, you may have an excuse maybe in another church, but not in this church. In this church, we have testimony after testimony. In Victory Outreach, we have hundreds of, of testimonies of, of people that were in possible cases. And God was not only able to change their lives, but God turned them around and called them into the ministry and is using them at this time in a very powerful way. Every time I share the testimony of, of Art, and I won't, I won't do it tonight, this morning because all of you know who Art is, Every time I share the testimony of Art when I'm in England or I'm some other place speaking and I talk about where he came from and what he was and how he was a killer and a hired killer and, and how he had hate in his heart. And they say, well, what is he doing now? And then I'm able to say with a big smile, I stick my chest out. And I say, he's one of our missionaries in London, England. That blows the mind of anybody. It's a powerful, powerful testimony. And that's just one of many testimonies. I was having uh, dinner the other day with a, a gentleman. I won't even mention his name. Kathy was there. She knows who I'm talking about. I mean, this guy has a reputation. I mean, this guy was a bad, bad boy. Bad, bad dude. I, he can't even verbalize the things that he's done, you know. And some of the things I was asking, do, do you feel any guilt? And he says, I used to feel the guilt, he says. 
I used to feel the guilt. But then once I came to Jesus Christ and Christ started working within my life, he says, I recognize that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all sin. And Jesus takes away all condemnation that may be within my life. You see, it is Jesus that makes the difference. And what I want to do this morning, I want you to follow with me. I, I, I'm believing that God's going to change some people. I'm believing that this morning, some of you that have been down and some of you that have had a poverty mentality, some of you that have been under the gun of the enemy, always defeated and you're living a defeated life and you're always under the circumstances, I'm believing that this morning, something is going to be broken within your life. I've come this morning and I pray and I says, God, there's going to be transformation that's going to take place. I know that I can't do it, but the power of the Holy Spirit is able to take you right where you are and right where you're sitting. And I'm going to believe God and I'm praying that this morning you're going to say, enough is enough. I'm tired of being under the thumb of the enemy and I'm going to rise up and be that child of God that God wants me to be. How many could say amen to that? You see, God is able to do it. God wants to do it. But we must be willing to place ourselves in the hands of God. Now, I want us to take a look this morning. I want you to follow with me very closely. And I want you to take a look how the chisel of God. How many know God has a chisel? And God has a way of working, you know. He says that we are there's treasures in earthen vessels. That means that we are, the Holy Spirit is inside of us. And God has a way of working in our lives. And I want you to notice how he worked in Peter's life. I want you to see the chisel of God begin to work in Peter in the molding process that took place in his life. And we're going to be looking at some scriptures and I want you to follow with me in these scriptures. First of all, I want you to look at Matthew chapter 14. And as we look at Matthew chapter 14, we find something very interesting and even humorous. We find Peter, he's trying to walk on the water. Remember that? Remember that? Look what it says in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 28. In fact, uh, we find him over here. It says in verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him on the other side. And then, while well, he dismissed the crowd. Now, notice what it says over here that in verse 25, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. And it's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Notice verse 27. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, again, who is it? Peter. Peter begins to speak out. Lord, if it's, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. You see how, how Peter, you know, you could see the immaturity in Peter. Peter. Peter really didn't know. He didn't really understand that he wasn't ready for that. He wasn't ready for that, you know. He, he wanted to just do it. It, it was just an impulsive moment in, in his life. Uh, the emotions got the best of him. And he says, Tell me to come to you on the water. And then Jesus said, come. You know, because Jesus always wants us to step out by faith. And then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water. At least he walked on the water for a while anyhow. And came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sing, cried out, Lord, save me. 
Now that's an embarrassing moment for Peter, isn't it? An embarrassing moment where he sees Jesus walking on the water, he wanted to do the very same thing. But then as soon as the a, a wave hit him on one side of the face and, and the winds began to blow, he started crying out because he fell under the circumstances. You see, that's the difference between mature people and immature people. Mature people, spiritually mature people, those that are rocks, are able to rise above the circumstances. Those that are reeds are always under the circumstances, always under the situation. And here, Peter, as soon as the devil threw a, a wind to come his way and, and he felt the wave, he began to sink and he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Notice immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And did he begin to compliment him? If it would have been one of us sometimes in working with people, we have a tendency to treat people with kid gloves. That's why I like to sometimes be me. I like to sometimes, just like I did last Sunday, I like to take the blade. I like to put you on the operating table and let the Spirit of God begin to operate in your life because I recognize that that's what brings about spiritual results. I like to provoke you. So you get so provoked that you begin to do something about the state that you're in. And Jesus, instead of Jesus complimenting him and telling him, well, Peter, you know, I want to compliment you, boy. You, you took a few steps. You did real fine. Don't worry. Later on, it'll get better. You know, just... One little step at a time. Now, what did he say to him? Look what he said. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him, and he said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You notice how he dealt with him? Then he had to take him by the hand and bring him back and put him again on the boat. And I'm glad that all the disciples, I, I imagine that all the disciples were over there, and they were probably laughing, and they said, good for him. I'm glad he didn't make it. I knew that would happen to Peter, and good for him. But at least we have something to say. He was the only one that stepped out, and we got to give him that credit anyhow. So the material was there. The only thing, it was wrong. And Jesus needed to work with it and refine it a little bit. It was a, what you would call, again, a diamond in the rough. And even though it was rough, Jesus was able to see that diamond. He was able to see that the finished product will be, will be good and be something that he'll be able to use. Okay, let's take another look and, and we, let's look at Matthew chapter 16. And in Matthew chapter 16, we have over here in verse 16. Now over here, Peter, you know, he gets, you notice how sometimes novices, you got to be careful about complimenting them too much. I want you to know that. Novices, the reeds have a tendency to get a big head every time you, you compliment them. You know, because they're always looking for compliments. They're always operating on the emotional. You know? And over here you find in Matthew 16, notice what, what happens over here in verse, let's begin in verse 13. It says, and when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And then in verse 14, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then in verse 15, notice what Jesus said, but what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? 
Notice right away who responded. It was Brother Peter again. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now I want you to know Jesus re replied. He, he said, blessed you, blessed you, uh, you are Simon, son of John, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. I want you to notice that Peter, it wasn't something that actually came from the natural mind of Peter. In fact, that response was a heavenly response. It was something that was supernaturally inspired by God. It was a revelation that I don't even think he understood. He didn't really, he didn't even understand the revelation. But at that particular moment, something came upon him and God gave him a revelation. And Peter, without even thinking about it, began to speak out. And he even spoke out something that he fully did not understand. And Jesus knew it. Jesus knew it. You're not going to get this deep revelation from the natural mind of a reed. He's still a reed. There's no way that this reed is going to be able to bring forth this revelation in the natural. So then Jesus responded and says, uh, Peter, this is something that, the one that revealed it to you, it wasn't something that came from the natural. You're talking some heavy stuff, Peter. You're talking about some stuff that even you don't understand. And what you have just said, it's something that has come from the throne room of God. It's a revelation of God himself. Well, Peter started, you know, you know, listening. And then it says over here, it says, uh, but my father in heaven revealed, and I tell you that you are Peter. Now notice this, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build, or on this confession, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And then notice what he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, will be loosed in heaven. Now, Peter's surely feeling good. I'm sure Peter's, you know, when he tells him that, he don't fully understand exactly, exactly what Jesus is telling him. But I'm sure that Peter's saying, boy, he's sure talking good. You mean me? Yeah, all that. All right. And he's probably looking at the other guys and saying, do you hear what he said? Now, Peter starts getting a little bit chesty. Now, I want you to notice in, uh, in verse 21, then all of a sudden, Jesus begins to predict his death. And from the time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and chief priests and teachers of the law. Now, Jesus is beginning to reveal what he's got to go through and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And then all of a sudden, notice what it says in verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to what? Rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. You know what it actually says in the Greek? In the Greek, it actually says that he began to shake him. He began to shake him. Peter went ahead and, and took him aside, and when Peter heard that, all he heard was about the crucifixion. All he heard was about the death of Jesus. He failed to even hear the rest of it, that Jesus was going to resurrect from the dead. He failed to take uh, into account that this was the divine plan of God for his son. And because he was a reed, 
And because he was a, a spiritual novice, he did not understand the deep things of God. And just because he got a compliment, just before, because he got a compliment from Jesus, he felt, uh, I mean, I, I, really, I, I really have it, and I really have revelation. And he wanted to set Jesus straight. The Greek tells us that he took him aside, and he's telling him, Jesus, what are you talking about? I want to set you straight. Don't you talk about dying. And he started shaking him and saying, no, don't you talk like that. Let it be far from you. And what did Jesus do? You know, babies have a tendency to misinterpret things. Reeds always misinterpret things. They always misunderstand what you're trying to tell them, you know. You have problems. I mean, always problems. You try to tell them spiritual things. They don't understand it. Their minds are so limited and closed, you know. And you try to, to speak to them some, some spiritual deep stuff. And over here, Peter, because he's so aggressive and because he got a compliment, he gets out of bounds. And then Jesus, what did he say to him? Did he treat him again with kid gloves and say, Peter, well, you know, you know leaders, sometimes leaders, we kind of baby these people that we're working with. If you want to disciple somebody, if you want to get results, and if you want to see somebody become a man of God, a woman of God, we can't be babying them all their lives. See, Peter was going through that discipleship process. You see, Peter was going through that. The chisel of God was working in Peter's life. Jesus knew that if he was going to be the man that he wanted, it to be, it wanted him to be, he needed that discipline. He needed rebuke. He needed to be corrected. And over here, he gives him a big rebuke. And notice what he says in verse 23. And in verse 23, it says, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Notice that? He actually called him a devil. Get behind me, Satan. Uh, one moment, Peter's in cloud nine over there. He's a tremendous man of God, and because he came up with a tremendous revelation, he's getting a little bit chesty. He's getting a, his head is beginning to swell up, and all of a sudden, just a few verses down, all of a sudden, Jesus is calling him a devil and rebuking him and calling him a devil. Peter was in the molding process. Peter was in the school of God. God had taken out the chisel. Are you with me? Luke chapter 9 and verse 28. Here we have a good one, the Mount of Transfiguration. Again, it's Peter, 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 and God working with Peter. And Peter blundering and, and God correcting him. And in the Mount of Transfiguration in, in verse 28, let's take a look at that. Are you with it? Notice what it says. About eight days after Jesus, eight days after Jesus said that he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up into a mountain to pray, and as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as flesh of lightning, two men, Moses and Elijah. Now notice the Moses, the representative of the law, Elijah, the representative of the prophets, appeared in glorious splendor, take, talking to Jesus. They spoke about his departure. Notice what they're speaking about. They spoke about his depart departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. So they were actually speaking about his death. And Peter and his companions were very what? Sleepy. 
That's just like the reeds, right? You get into some heavy preaching, and they begin to get sleepy. Do we have any sleepy folk this morning that are here? They begin to get sleepy. Watch out when you get sleepy, because you may say the wrong thing. And he spoke about his departure, about the death, and then Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as the men were leaving, Jesus, as they were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put three shelters or three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. I want you to take a look at this. Here you got Moses and Elijah, Old Testament saints, Old Testament figures, and their Old Testament leaders, and they're talking about the death of Jesus at Jerusalem. I'm sure that what they were talking about to Jesus was, Jesus, you got to go to the cross. I mean, we're all, we're all in, in paradise by faith, in the fulfillment of the promise. And you're the only one that is able to fulfill that promise. They were talking something very, very heavy. You must go to the cross. And then all of a sudden, Peter, you know, like, it's just like one of those people that when they're sleeping and wake up, hallelujah, you know, praise the Lord. You ever see people like that? I've seen it happen. I see one guy over like this, and then as soon as somebody said, praise the Lord, you know, the people started praising the Lord. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, you know. The guy didn't even know what he was saying, you know. Just woke up. Here they're talking some heavy, heavy theology, and Peter suddenly wakes up in the flesh, and he says, oh, no, let's, wow, this is good. It is good for us to be here. Wow, this is heavy. He saw the glory of God. He saw Moses and Elijah. He says, wow, this is great. Let's put a tabernacle for Moses, a tabernacle for Elijah, and also a tabernacle for Jesus. And the Bible says, not knowing what he was saying. You know what happened? All of a sudden, you think, I, I can imagine. Let me just let me just imagine a little bit. <laughs> you throw this out. Too good to pass it up. I was thinking about, I wonder how Moses and Elijah reacted. You know, here they're talking some heavy stuff, and this guy, without even being asked anything, he butts in, you know. And he gets into this heavy, you know, they're in a heavy conversation. This guy comes in with some, some weird theology. He's talking about his death at Jerusalem. This guy wants to put three churches up for these guys. I'm sure Elijah and Moses said to Jesus, where'd you get this guy from? Where did this guy come from? And I'm sure Jesus is saying, guys, just bear with me, man. That's... Don't you think for a moment that Jesus got embarrassed? I'm sure Moses and Elijah are saying, what are you doing with this dude? Where is this dude coming from? And then Jesus is saying, well, don't, don't, don't pay attention to him. You know, just, just I mean, he, he, he's, he's going to be my disciple. And he's going to be, he's, he's right now a reed, but he's going to be a rock. Right now he's a reed, but by the time I finish with him, I know it doesn't look very promising, but he's going to be a rock. And 
And what did God do? God the Father, it says, he couldn't even take it anymore. You, t- you talk about get the attention of God the Father. Peter got the attention of God the Father. I think he provoked God the Father. And God all of a sudden spoke out. And he says, this is my beloved son. Peter, hear ye him. Peter, shut up. Shut your mouth. You're on holy ground. Now, you know, there's always a tendency for, whenever you're discipling people, the reeds will always embarrass you. You know that? That's why I'm always afraid to give the reeds a microphone. You never know what they're going to say. I remember when we had, all we had in our church was reeds. Wobbly's brother, even Wobbly. Wobbly was a big read. Wobbly, that's his name, Wobbly, you know. I don't even call him. Now, now some people call him Pastor Wobbly. Not, he's Robert now. His name has been changed. He used to wobble all the time, but there's been a change. Now, now he's a pastor. Well, his, his brother, little brother was crazy. Little Freddie. Still needs to get saved. Ready to hear you gotta get saved, brother. I think his buddy Ralph is here. He knows what I'm talking about. Oh, Freddie, I, I got all my reeds in the, in the church, you know. Thank you. Oh, I got it I got all my reeds in the church. Little church on Glass Street. All reeds. I mean, Kathy was a reed. And I gotta take, you know, I, I gotta get some, some money, you know. I gotta get some money to support this thing. So I'm gonna take, I'm, I'm gonna take this testimony out to this exclusive place where these rich people are, and I'm gonna ha- let them know what I'm doing in East LA. Well, I take this little Freddie with me, and I go over there, and I start saying, you know, I got testimonies, and I didn't want to put, I didn't want to testify. I just, I just referring to them, you know. I don't care what this guy's gonna say. And then they said, Pastor Twin. Do we just hear a little bit from them? And old little Freddie's dying to get the mic, you know. So I said, all right. And I said, Freddie, sure. Again, the microphone. Freddie got up there, and he started talking, and then he started getting excited, and he don't even know the Christian terminology, and he begins to cuss. I want you to know that I'm not bull so-and-so. All those sophisticated people, they drop their joy. And then I went over, I got the mic, Freddie. I got the mic from him. And then I said, folks, he's under construction still, you know. I'm sorry, but, you know, I just got him off the streets, you know. We understand, Pastor Sonny. I'm I'm glad it was a small little crowd, but you never know what they're going to do. You never know what they're going to say. You never know what they're going to do. And this is an indication that Peter wasn't a rock yet. Peter was still a reed. He didn't understand the spiritual things of God. This is why, again, I say to you, and I keep on emphasizing, and I'm emphasizing to our leaders, we don't have room for reeds in leadership. 
breeds could devastate a church. When he rocks, when he people that are stones and people that are rocks that are able to find their place within the body of Christ. So Peter got rebuked. So again, he got rebuked. And finally, and then we'll move a little faster, then we, we find him again, the garden, the garden of Gethsemane. Remember that? Right? Or actually, even before the garden, the upper room. Let's go to the upper room. Let's do that. Let me just tell you what happened in the upper room. We don't have to look really into that. Let me tell you what happened. In the upper room again, then uh, remember that they came to get a hold of Jesus? Remember they came to get, then he came down, then they, they came to get a hold of Jesus. After the upper room, they go and they went aside to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then they came and they wanted to get a hold of Jesus. As soon as they wanted to get a hold of Jesus, it was time for Jesus. You know, all of a sudden, Peter took out his sword and he cut the guy's ear off again. And then again, Jesus had to once again uh, make up for the mistake. And again, man, he, you know, Peter, you don't do that, you know. And Peter went ahead, he tried to cut his head off, and he missed, and he got his ear, and he cut the guy's ear off. And then he, Jesus had to get the ear and work a miracle and say, I'm sorry, I mean, he's my disciple again, you know. I'm, I, I, I don't think he meant it. Come here. He put the ear back on. Peter, you got to stop these things, you know. I mean, it seems to be blunder after blunder after blunder. It looked like there wasn't any hope for this disciple that he'll ever actually make it. But how many know God doesn't give up? And then even after that, we even have the story that he started following when they, when they were taking Jesus and through the cru crucifixion, he was following afar off. And then they started noticing him, and then he denied the Lord. Then he even began to cuss, and, and just like Jesus said that he was going to deny him. And Peter had said, no, I'll never deny you. Sure enough, he denied him three times, and the Bible says that after he denied him, he walked away, and he wept bitterly. See, that shows you something. That shows you that his heart was right. Somehow, there was a love, and there was a desire that he had inside of him to serve God. When all of a sudden he recognized that he denied the Lord, he walked away and he began to weep bitter, bitterly. You see, God is looking for a broken and contrite heart. Even though you may not be perfect, even though you may have handcuffs, if your heart is open for the working of God, then God could perform that change in your life. And then finally, and this is the, where we find the change that took place. And I want you to open up to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. Are you still with me? John chapter 21. Peter gets reinstated. Amen. Peter gets reinstated. Notice what it says in chapter 21 and verse 15. Now, look at me for a moment before we get into that. I believe that there's always a timing when God is giving us the last opportunity. Now, God had called Peter, and he wanted Peter. He had plans for Peter. He had a divine destiny for Peter. His divine destiny for Peter was just what we see happen in Peter's life. His divine destiny was just what he prophesied. 
This is what he prophesied. He was going to be a mighty man of God. He was going to go ahead and, and, and be the one that's going to preach on, after the day of Pentecost. He had that divine destiny for Peter. He had a divine plan for Peter. But Peter had to come to that place of finally making a commitment and making a choice. You see, God could have plans for us, and God has plans for each and every one of you. There's not one person here. I don't care how many hang-ups you have. I don't care how you struggle, even if you're an habitual backslider. I want you to know this morning that in spite of all the hang-ups that you have, nothing is too hard for God. God wants to change your life, and God is able to change your life. You don't have to settle for that and say, well, I, I messed up so many times and, and somehow it seems like I can't make it and it seems like I can't change. That's a lie from the pits of hell. There's always a time when God begins to speak to us and God begins to zero in within our lives. And I believe that this morning there's an open window. There's an open window of opportunity. That's what I believe happened to Peter in that chapter 21, there was an open window of opportunity. Peter could have blew it at that very moment, or he could have went ahead and taken advantage of the opportunity and see the fulfillment of God's divine destiny within his life. It was a choice, a decision that he had to make. You see, God calls us. God calls. He pleads. Those of you that Somehow you haven't committed your life to Christ. Those of you that always come late to church. Those of you that are reeds. And you continue to be a reed. God wants to do something special in your life. This message is for you. And somehow I pray that the Holy Spirit will provoke you in such a way that you'll say enough is enough and you want a change to come about within your life. Well, Jesus began to, once again, gave Peter the opportunity and he wanted to reinstate him in chapter 21. And notice what happened in verse 15. He says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, notice the way he deals with us individually. Look at me for a moment. He deals with us individually. All the disciples are there, but he's zeroing in on Simon Peter. You know, tonight we have a lot of, this morning we have a lot of people here. We have a lot of people here. But as I'm speaking... God has a way of zeroing in in your life. Maybe this morning you feel uncomfortable and say, oh man, this pastor, what does he preach so hard for, man? I come over here to get blessed and I'm being tormented. If you're being tormented, that's good. If you're being provoked, that's good. Because you're being provoked for righteousness. And even in spite of all the people that we have here, you know that God knows you and God is able to single you out and God is able to look through his penetrating eyes at your life and he knows everything about you. And in a meeting like this, in a, in a message like this, he has a way of zeroing in and telling you, this message is for you. This is your last opportunity. And I believe that there comes a time when it's the last opportunity to be able to, to experience the fulfillment of God's destiny for our lives. There are so many people that it passed them by. But this morning, God wants you to come. And he wants you to come face to face with your failures. Come face to face 
with a decision that you have to make. And that you will make the right choice and the right decision. Well, it says, when he had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you truly love me more than these? And I'm sure he's referring to his occupation. And yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Again, he's focusing him again on the call of God for his life. God's purpose for his life. Again, Jesus says, Simon, son of, of John, do you truly love me? He said, yes, Lord, I know I love you. Take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this indicating the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Now, I want you to look at me for a moment. You know, this morning, I, I don't believe in, in preaching a theology of saying that everything is going to be a bed of roses if you follow Jesus. In fact, it's just the opposite. The enemy will throw everything he can at you. I can't tell you this morning that if you make a decision to commit your life to Christ, that everything is, you won't have any more problems, that you won't, have, you won't experience any more attacks of the enemy. In fact, it's just the opposite. The Bible tells us that the enemy will throw everything he can at you. But the assurance that you have is this, that he is faithful. He is faithful. And with Peter, he's telling him, Peter, I want you to follow me, but I want you to know right now, I don't want any false assumptions, and I don't want you to have any false assumptions that it's going to be easy. I want you to follow me. Now, I, I, I put up with you all these problems. I've put up with you, and I've been putting up with you. But, Peter, we're coming down to a showdown right now, and it's about time. I want you to declare yourself. I think that's the way God works with us sometimes. He says, listen, I, John or, or Mary or, or Peter or whoever, I, I've been putting up with you, and I, I've been having mercy upon you, and I've been dealing with you with kid gloves, but now it's about time. Either you serve me or not. You've come to the place of decision. And then he says, it's not going to be easy. There's always the assurance, even though it's not going to be easy, I'm still going to be with you. Lo, I shall be with you, even until the end of the world. In spite of the storm, in spite of the trials, I will be with you. Now Peter had a decision to make. And then it says over here that Peter looked around, it says in verse 20, and saw John, disciple whom Jesus loved, and then to make a long story short, what did he do? He saw John, he said, what, what's going to happen with this guy then? Is he going to go through what i got to go through or what? What about him? And then Jesus again, he's referring, he's dealing with him individually. He said, it's none of your business what happens to him. I am dealing with you. Are you going to follow me? Now, what would have happened, I want you to think about it for a moment. It would have been a closed chapter for Peter if he would have walked away. You, could you imagine what he would have missed by walking away? It would have been a, a sorrowful moment if Peter would have walked away and said, the price is too heavy. You know, that's what some of you have actually done. You're actually saying, the price is too heavy. That's what you're telling God. 
That's why you haven't committed your life to God. That's why you haven't dedicated your life to God. Because you're saying the price is too heavy. I'm too involved in other things to be able to serve you, God, and commit my life to God. What a sorrowful thing for someone to lose out on God's divine destiny for his life. Peter would have walked away. He would have never experienced the experience of Pentecost. We wouldn't have heard any more about Peter. His, it would have been ended. It's over. You wouldn't hear anything else about Peter, just like many others, that it ends for them. It's a closed chapter. Blessed be God. Peter says, no matter what it takes, oh God, you've invested too much inside of me. There's no turning back. Where am I going to go? For only you have the words of eternal life. I have no place to go, Jesus. In spite of the way I am, if you're willing to take me, then I'm willing to dedicate and commit my life to you. And I'm willing to follow you and go all the way, no matter what it takes. And then Jesus said, why, that's what I was waiting for. And sure enough, later on, you see him in the book of Acts, he's a leader. He's not a reed anymore. He was a reed at one time, but he became a pillar of the church. He was transformed from a reed to a pillar. In fact, in Galatians, it talks about him. The apostle Paul says uh, talks about the pillars of the church, that he was accepted and welcomed by the pillars of the church. And he's referring to Peter, James, and John. And he says, the pillars of the church treated me well. He's referring to Peter, that was the reed. Peter became a pillar. In the very same way, God was able to change his life. The same way God was able to change my life. Even the elders of Victory Outreach, you should see them. They all look like convicts. You know, we still have some. We still have some of us still have that look, you know. And those are the elders making decisions about global evangelism. And I sit there sometimes and I look at Ed Morales, an elder. My God, when I remember, not too long ago, he was a reed. Ed was a crazy dude. Crazy, you never know what he's going to do next. You know, always like this, you know. Then I look at at uh, Rick Alanis. What is his reputation? A, a bad gang member in the streets of Colton, California. Gang member, bad dude. And then his his homegirl alongside of him, his wife. You know, she would she would get to Duke City also and start fighting and back up his play. A homegirl. And then I look over and I I see. Tony Guzman, another elder. These are the pillars. Tony was a nutcase. Tony, if you're listening, hi, I'm telling it like it is, you know. Tony was a, a nutcase, man. T Tony, he, they say he used to just like this, you know. Wouldn't talk, wouldn't talk. In fact, he even spent time in a mental institution. And then they brought him in, they brought him to the ranch out there. And they said, maybe, maybe somebody could help him out there in the ranch. And God got a hold of him. And then Tony, from becoming, from being a reed, he became a stone. You know, the Bible says that the, the, the temple is built of stone. You, we're all stone. He became, and then he became a pillar. Became a pillar. And now God uses him in a tremendous way. Has an apostolic ministry. 
God was able to raise him up. And then, then what about Saul Garcia? Look at him. His middle name is Mr. Wisdom. When he came and had a little bit more hair, he used to have a ponytail when he first came in. He was a weird dude. I'm sorry to say he was a weird dude. In fact, his wife will vouch for that. He had the most pessimistic outlook that anybody would have. He tried to show him something nice. He said, yeah, but what about this, you know? And he had a way of staring at you, you know? He came in. I mean, he wouldn't laugh. He'd just stare at you, you know? But there was something in him, something that we were able to say to see in him. He was a reed. God said, oh, I, I'm going to turn him into a rock, and I'm going to turn him not only into a stone, but I'm going to turn him into a pillow, pillar, and he's going to be a pillar within the house of God, and, and God had raised him up. He didn't know nothing about administration and management and all these things, and now he runs the, the administration for all the victory outreach churches. He's become a tremendous leader worldwide, globally. And I could go on and on and on and on and give you example after example. Not only examples that are in the Word of God, but I could give you up today example of people who were reached, but God was able to transform them and make them into a pillar and make them into a rock. And that's what God wants to do within your life. Let me give you the definition of a pillar. A pillar, a pillar is one who provides strength and support to the house of God without any need of recognition or recognition or reward. They finish all their tasks given to them and are totally committed to the work of God. They hold up the hands of the pastor. You hear that? Just like Moses and just like all these others, they hold the hands of, of the pastor. A pillar means to support and hold up and carry or bear weight to lift or to receive pressure. And God wants to make many of you from a reed into a pillar. I want you to know that this morning there isn't anything that God cannot do. Now I pray that the Holy Spirit will get a hold of you. The Holy Spirit will get a hold of you. This year, 1995, is the year of change. I want you to think about it. Benji, come on up here, play softly. I want everybody still. Just listen to me for a few moments. Everybody still. I want you to take a self-evaluation of your life this morning. You see, we need, to, we need to face our failures. We need to be able to face our situation. And I want you this morning to really take a good, honest look at yourself. Are you a reed or are you a rock? And if somehow you're a reed this morning, there's an instability within your life and it seems like you have a very hard time serving God. You're playing games. You're not fully given over to God. If that is happening, those are the most miserable people in the church are people that are playing church. Because you come into a meeting like this and the Spirit of God begins to convict you. You know why the Spirit of God convicts you? Because He wants to bring about a change within your life. 
Yes, we need to confront and we need to look and we need to take an honest look and say, you know what, I don't have my act together. I'm not right with God. I'm not where I should be. I fall short. But this morning you could do something about it. We're giving you hope this morning. We're telling you that nothing is impossible. You're not too far gone. God specializes with people just like you. Yes, Brother Sonny, but you don't know what my father did to me and, and the family that I came up with and all the complexes that I have and the inferiority complex and, and everything that I've gone I don't care what you've gone through. Jesus is a miracle-working God. He's able to make all things new. He's able to change your life. But it's up to you this morning whether you just sit there and shine it on walk out the same way. You know the problem with people that they don't change is that they come in and they walk out the same way. They hear the word of God, their conscience is pricked, and instead of coming up here and doing something about it, they just walk out and they get harder and, and harder and they begin to build a hard crush around their heart. But God wants to break that this morning. God wants to bring a change within your life. This is the year of change. And I'll guarantee you that if you come up here this morning, God will meet you here. What no one else is able to do, Jesus will do it for you in just one moment's time. And in just a moment, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. All the way, those people on my right, all the way back there, I'm going to ask if God has spoken to you this morning, then I'm going to ask you to come over here and over here to my left as well. And all over this, this tent right now, as the Spirit of God is moving, if this is you that God is speaking to, I want you to come right away. And I want you all to stand as we sing a chorus. I'm going to ask you to come from all over this place. From all over this place. That's it. You say enough is enough. Glory to God. Hallelujah. That's it. This is your day. This is your moment. Glory to God. That's it. From all over. Quickly come. Get a hold of your wife and say, honey, we need to step out and come. Glory to God. Hallelujah. This is your moment. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Just keep on playing softly. There's still others that the Holy Spirit is dealing with. And as the Holy Spirit is dealing with you right now, I'm going to ask you to step out and say, this is me. I, I want to surrender my life. I want God to change me. I want God to bring a change about in my life right now. Or if you know someone that needs Jesus right now, then I'm going to ask you to come on down right now. Let, don't just let it be another routine Sunday, but let God do the work in your life this morning. If you need Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to come. This is my last call as we sing it one more time. If you know somebody that needs Christ, walk up to that person. Invite him to come on down. Let's believe God for the miracle this morning as we sing it again. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah.
That's it. That's it. that this message has encouraged you to grow in your walk with God. To hear more messages, visit www.visionintlstore.com. Thank you for listening. God bless you.